Welcome to the Unplayable Podcast, brought to you by Qantas, the spirit of Australia. And Australia, well, they're over in New Zealand now for three T20s and two test matches over the next couple of weeks. It all starts pretty uh, soon as well on Wednesday, the 21st of February, so straight into it. The Aussies, no rest for them. Uh, my name is Josh Onafinger. I'm joined by Louis Cameron. Later in this episode, we've got an interview with Mitchell Stark. So that's a good one to stay around for. He's got plenty of thoughts on fast bowling and travelling and tests and T20s, a whole lot. So it's a good chat. Louis, how are you, mate? I'm really good. And uh, I'm really looking forward to, to everyone getting their ears around um, the chat with Mitchell Stark. He seemed excited for the tour, didn't he? I mean, it's um, these guys can get ground down by how much cricket they play, but... Um, you know, there's a, a genuine sense of novelty a, a little bit um, for, for certainly him and Pat Cummins, which is fascinating really that they haven't played a test match over there at all. And we um, we did ask, you know, he, he talked about Josh Hazelwood being the only member of the big three who was there around last time. We did ask about if he'd, if he'd found out who the third umpire was, um, you know, from that from that famous moment in, in 2016. Uh, if listeners don't know what... Well, we might need to give a bit more context about that funny moment. Well, we might, but uh, I also feel like if we, you know, all we'd normally do in, in this situation is kind of play the audio um, and, you know, I just kind of think for a family-friendly <laughs> podcast, we, we actually can't do that. So um, might let listeners um, just go investigate that one themselves. It's a, it's, it's a source of endless amusement for me. Josh and, uh, and and potentially other members of the Australian cricket team. Yeah, if you're not too worried about a bit of bad language, you should just Google search Josh Hazelwood third umpire and I think it will come up. Um, let's move on to this series, Lou, before we get to that chat with Mitch Stark. Uh, we want to look at some big questions that's facing this Aussie side ahead of the T20 World Cup, which is in June. The only three matches they've got in T20s before then are these three matches against New Zealand. So there's a lot of pressure, I guess, on the coaching team to get the lineup right and the structures all right. So why don't we start with who is going to be the captain? Now, they haven't made an official call on who is going to be leading the team at the World Cup, but there are a few options, Lou. Yeah, well, it's interesting even going back to when Aaron Finch kind of hung up the boots. We haven't had a, a permanent T20 captain since then and it might just be something, Josh, that becomes a bit more commonplace in the uh, with all, you know, Australian teams, not the test side, you know, but maybe the limit overs teams in terms of working kind of like almost like a project kind of thing where you work towards World Cups and um, you, you appoint captains for individual bilateral tours. But... Um, Mitch Marsh is, is kind of seems to be the one who's going to do it. Like that seems to be the all the the messages kind of coming out of um, out of the Australian camp. I mean, Pat Cummins is the the Test and ODI skipper, but um, he's never done it in a T Twenty international. So time is certainly running out if he was to uh, be coming in last minute to do it for the World Cup. Um, so uh, I mean, Matthew Wade did do it, of course, for a T Twenty series over in India. Uh, last year that got a bit lost after the ODI World Cup. But, um, yeah, I mean, I think it's important that um, that Marsh, you know, really gets the reps and um, this team is very experienced and, and they talk a lot about how, you know, even the fact it's just a spoiler to um, the Mitchell Stark chat coming up. Like he spoke a little bit about how they haven't looked all that much at the T20 World Cup or thought about planning and approaches and it suggests that they can are all experienced enough to do things a little bit last minute. But, um, you know, I think it's important to, to for them to potentially figure out exactly what their what their structures and, and plans are for, for that World Cup. And, and part of that, Josh, I guess, is, um, you know, the, the Steve Smith conundrum at the moment. Um, and so Mitch Marsh spoke at the press conference the other day about the expected top three and uh, maybe we can just kind of have a listen to what he said. Uh, well, about a three for the last 18 months, so I'll be there. <laughs> 
to start with. Um, and obviously Hedy and, and Davy Warner have been amazing for us over the last period of time. So um, I dare say that'll be the top three. So if that's the top three, it's either Steve Smith at four or, or below. Um, it, you know, he doesn't fit into that that top three as it stands. So, you know, my question to you, Josh, is where does Steve Smith fit into the into the lineup? Well, it's a great question, isn't it? Uh, we know what a talented player he is and what he's done in all formats. And it was really that bumper BBL campaign, wasn't it, last season or last summer that uh, catapulted him back into calculations. I think he was out of the side before that, but two centuries for the Sixers. Got him back into the setup, and then he had a bit of a go as opener in India just before Christmas. Um, but I don't know. His strike rate in the T20 international format isn't as high as the other guys competing for those spots, so that's certainly an area of concern. But uh, if he's not in the top three, I don't know if he potentially is in Australia's best 11 at this stage. Can you really fit him in there if he's not going to be batting in the top three? Yeah, I mean, at this point, it's interesting kind of looking at how the West Indies um, kind of structure up their team as, as a bit of a, you know, not necessarily a blueprint because they haven't shot the lights out in recent major events, but they are the, the hosts of uh, you know, the co-hosts of the tournament, the hosts of where Australia mm. are going to be playing all their game. Australia, of course, aren't playing any matches in the USA. And, and their structure is kind of you have, you know, a couple of big hitters up top. You might have, um, you know, craftier types at three and four and then it's power hitters galore, um, you know, even maybe from, from four down, uh, but, but often kind of from five down. It's, you know, your Russells, your Shepherds, your Jason Holders, um, probably a couple others I can't think of off the top of my head. Smith doesn't fit into that um, into that uh, that blueprint, and that's that's fine. Mm. Like he, he would have to be a number three, and if you're looking at it from that point of view. So, um, I mean, he has batted lower down in the past, but I, I do agree with you. I think his best spot is probably in the top three, and, and if he's not in that, I, I probably wouldn't have him necessarily in the eleven um, at full strength. I, I do think he's potentially not a bad tourist to, to kind of take over there as maybe a backup batter along with Josh Inglis, if if he is the the kind of backup to Matthew Wade. Um, which which is something we're going to talk about in a little bit. But, um, yeah, I, I still think he's, he's definitely worth bringing over to the Caribbean. Mm, plenty of experience there as well. well. He's been at T20 World Cups since uh, 2010, I think, was his first one. So lots of experience there for Steve Smith. Uh, well, why don't we look at the uh, wicketkeepers, Lou, as you mentioned. Matthew Wade, Josh Inglis, they're the two gunning for that spot at the minute. Who's going to take the gloves and uh, who's going to bat in the middle order? Well, they've both been given a, a good chance at, in, in recent games. Wade um, obviously captained uh, those games in India last year um, and has batted a little bit back at the top of the order. Um, he's super flexible. I think that's probably his uh, – you know, it's probably the strength of both of them really is um, Inglis got a go doing it in the home summer gone just now and, and was superb and – um, he just looks like he can bat probably anywhere from one to, to six, one to five. I really like him into that four and five role, kind of maybe ahead of Maxwell, um, where he can still score really quickly and be dynamic. He's not like your traditional power hitter, but um, just a really crafty player. But look, people forget that Matthew Wade won Australia, um, essentially got Australia into the World Cup final in 2021, that amazing innings he played along with Marcus Stoinis uh, to, to knock over Pakistan. And I think the selectors haven't forgotten that either. A little bit like Inglis, he's different, he's craftier, um, hits very square of the wicket. He's, he's not a big power hitter, but he just offers something different. Uh, and a left-hander in in that middle order. I wonder if you know the fact that Travis Head's now at the top of the order, um, supposedly in the in the T20 side. Um, maybe that lessens the need for for another lefty 
um, further down. But I do think that is uh, something playing in his favour, just being able to throw a left-hander out. You know, sometimes he might come in instead of Tim David in, in certain situations. Yeah, I agree. And that number seven role, I reckon that's the spot that no batter would want in the T20 sort of lineup. But Matthew Wade's made it his own, to be honest. And Well, in the international stage, for Big Bash, Hobart Hurricanes, he still bats at the top. But when he plays for Australia, he's at number seven and he's got a really good record there compared to other players around the world. So I think that's an extremely rare and, uh, you know, a valuable spot to be able to knuckle down and I think that's why Wade should probably get the first crack at that spot. But as we saw during the ODI World Cup, Inglis has form coming in mid-tournament and taking over. That's true. As long as he stays off uh, off the golf course, of course. Um, we know his 2022 <laughs> World Cup was derailed by um, an incident with a, with a six iron. I mean, I, I really think that they should take both of them to the Caribbean. Just, you know, A, mm-hmm. you probably want a backup wicketkeeper in your squad this time around. We, we know they've played around with that at, at certain tournaments, um, certainly the 2022 World Cup when Inglis got injured. Um, they brought in Cameron Green and then just kind of banked on not needing a, a, a backup wicketkeeper because um, they were playing the games in Australia. The Caribbean's a, a really long way away from, from Australia. Um, it you know it can take you a day or two to kind of get there. So I think having both of them over there would um, would certainly help them. Um, now for, that's probably the the main batting kind of questions. There's probably a couple more from a from a bowling point of view, and one of the really interesting ones that I've um, been thinking about is um, the Maxwell-Adam-Zampa combination that did so well in India at the ODI World Cup last year. And the whole time we were asking, you know, how can they have not picked Ashton Agar to play in this series um, and they need a backup spinner? Well, it, pr- it, it turned out that Maxwell's spin was, you know, um, was as good as a frontline spinner. So I guess my question is, is Maxwell and Zampa enough spin to, to win another World Cup? Well, that's the way they're going to go, isn't it? I mean, they are determined that that is their best lineup and their best balance, and they've got so many quality fast bowlers. You know, it's hard to disagree with that. Uh, my only issue is that, yeah, if Zampa or Maxwell to a lesser extent gets a serious injury, then the person who comes in has just played so little international cricket over the last little bit that it's going to be hard to throw them into the cauldron of a you know World Cup and do well. I guess Tanvir Sanger is probably the next one, next rung off the uh, oh, what's the what's the saying? The next cab off the rank. Next cab off the rank. That's it. <laughs> because he played in India and uh, he's been around the squad for a long time. But asking him to step up in a World Cup would be a massive ask. So you know a lot will come down to fitness of the best players, but that can be true for every team, I suppose. So keeping them on the parks the key. Well, I think they, you're right, and they've shown their hand a little bit by not really of trying out any other spinners. Like they could have put a damper mm. on ice for a couple of games uh, during this home summer and had a look at Sanger or, or brought Agar back to, to see how he's faring. But the fact that hasn't happened, I mean, Sanger was at the World Cup kind of as the as their only reserve because they knew how important Zampa was and they also knew how fragile he was. Like he was... Um, he was struggling to get through that tournament physically um, and did a remarkable job doing it. But he was, you know, only ever a, um, you know, a, an injury away from from Australia being without a without a frontline spinner. I wonder if they might kind of go a slightly different way. Like it might almost be the last spot in that fifteen man squad. They might go with a Matt Short type, um, who mm. is kind of maybe like for like closest to to Maxwell, although can bat at the or, you know has thrived batting at the top more so than the middle and gives you really good right arm off spin i wonder if that might be you know it might almost come down to a call between agar and, and matt short what, what do you kind of think of that 
Yeah, I, I seem to think that's probably the way they might go. They gave Matt Short a good run in India. Um, so he seems to, he's been around the squad. He's got good skills in both departments. Also a very good fielder. So uh, I think that's probably a good call for Australia there. The final burning question that, Lou, I want to throw to you and maybe Mitch Stark will also weigh in on this one. Is there an opening for a non-Big 3 quick to break into this team? For a long time it's been coming Stark-Hazelwood. Is there room for someone else? I think there is, and I think there is for the T20 format. Like there are question marks, I think, over whether all three of them are Australia's best three fast bowlers again at the next World Cup. I mean, the answer every other World Cup has been yes, they are our best three, but I think it's worth finding out and, and for them to, to kind of prove it every time. Um, and, you know, I think if it's a line ball call, you, you go with those three because you've just seen them do it so often and it would have to be something pretty extraordinary. But, you know, Mitch Mitch Stuck did get dropped for that final World Cup game on on home soil in, in 2022. Um, so you look at the guys in and around the mark. I mean, Sean Abbott uh, is injured for, for this series at the moment and um, he did a really good job as the backup uh, in India last year so you'd think he'd be around the mark nathan ellis is over there in new zealand um as a as a death bowler as is xavier bartlett now they're two very different bowlers and this kind of goes back to why the big three have been so successful and have been able to um translate their test success into into short form cricket is their versatility like i think all three of those guys would fancy themselves bowling in the middle bowling with the new ball in the, um in the power play and also with the death um, and you look at Xavier Bartlett, excellent new ball bowler, uh, the standout in the in the big bash. His death stuff is absolutely getting better, um, but you know he's, he's you probably wouldn't be able to say that he's a, a better uh, option than Cummins or than Josh Hayeswood at the death. Similar story with Jason Berendorf, although big improver with that knuckleball that that he's been bowling. Uh, and then maybe Ellis has to kind of prove the opposite that. that you know, he could be a, a threat up front. I think Spencer Johnson is kind of the one that has the best chance mm. of doing it. Like he just looks like he has succeeded in the big bash in maybe all three of those phases. Um, could he kind of be the one that maybe sneaks in as the, the fourth quick into that squad potentially? I mean, I was looking, if they do end up starting with Stark, Cummins and Hazelwood, then you're going to need an, either an injury or a run of bad form for someone else to you know, weasel their way in. But looking at their uh, fixtures, you've got Oman, Namibia and Scotland as three of the first four matches at that World Cup. So it's hard to see those big three quicks having an off day against those uh, lesser nations. Not noted powerhouses of the game, Oman in particular. <laughs> uh, Scotland are, are improving and, and so are Namibia. But, it, I mean, it's an interesting uh, tournament for, for Australia really because the, the seedings are predetermined as well. So... Um, the fourth group game they've got against England almost doesn't matter as long as they beat, you know, the win the games they should because whether they finish top or whether they finish second, they'll go through into the next stage of the tournament uh, second, second place anyway, which, um, you know, is an interesting way to structure a tournament. But good for fans, I suppose, isn't it, Josh? I guess they've got a bit more clarity about who they're going to see in the latter stages. But, yeah, it seems a bit odd to me. Yeah, and, and picking up your point, I suppose, of... I mean, you know, you might kind of look at it and go maybe Stark, Cummins and Hazelwood don't need to play all the games against Oman and, and Scotland. And if it was a Spencer Johnson as that fourth fast bowler, you might be able to play around with your combinations a little bit and, and just see, you know, it, it does Johnson, Hazelwood, Stark work? Does Stark, Johnson, Cummins work? And, and rotate it around a little bit. So 
um, really interesting to see who kind of gets the nod as the backup quick. I'd say that probably four quicks will will probably just about do the do the job um, over there. And then if if you know say if you're just looking at that best team, and if you say Smith and Inglis might be the two batters uh, that are outside of it, batters slash wicket keepers, and then you take one um, specialist fast bowler uh, between you know Johnson, Ellis, uh, Abbott, Berendorf. Uh, and then I kind of see that last spot is a you know maybe a wild card between Matt Short, Ash Agar, even Aaron Hardy, someone like that. So is that kind of how you might see a, a squad shaping up? Uh, I think that's pretty good. I mean they're so limited, aren't they, with fifteen player squads at these ICC events? And I know every team wants bigger squads, but for the minute it's only fifteen, so you don't really have that much wiggle room. But um, I think that's pretty spot on. You want versatile players on the bench. That's probably the key takeout. And, and the Aussies were talking about this during the, the last World Cup in India last year and they were you know, saying we need more spots available. And oh, I kind of disagreed and I wouldn't say it to their faces, of course, <laughs> but I can say it on a podcast behind their backs. I mean, I, I really like that 15-player squads make you um, kind of have these um, debates and, you know, when someone goes, mm. goes home or, you know, Mitch Marsh went home um, for a family bereavement and then he comes back, that's a conversation. How do we kind of balance that out? Um, Travis Head was injured for the first half of the tournament. Can we bring him through? Yes, we're going to try. We're going to get criticised for it, and it turned out to be a masterstroke, and they won them. You know, won them a World Cup. So, um, I quite like it, and, and the richer nations often bring. Um, you know, I think it, I think it um, levels the playing field a little bit. Like if you're Namibia, you can't have probably afford to um, bring twenty players along when Australia, England, or India can. So, uh, I don't mind the rules as they are. I like it, Lou. Well done. Let's uh, watch this space. I'm sure the ICC are listening to our uh, thoughts on this situation. So um, let's keep it at 15 for now. Uh, I think it's time to jump into our chat with Mitchell Stark, who joined us from Wellington, ahead of those T20 matches on Wednesday, Friday and Sunday. Here he is. All right, we're very lucky to be joined on this edition of the Unplayable Podcast by Mitch Stark, all the way from Wellington in New Zealand. Mitch, welcome to this episode. How's Wellington been for you so far now that you're across the ditch? Yeah, thanks, guys. It's been, uh, yeah, it hasn't been too many days, but um, we've probably seen all the seasons in in the space of 24 <laughs> hours with the, the winds we had yesterday. Uh, the sun's out now, and I think there's a bit of rain this morning, so it's um, Wellington's thrown up a few, few different... Uh, seasons but it's been been nice to be on the ground and back back into things well mitch let's let's talk about the thing we really want to talk about here which is uh, of course the golf we know it's a uh, it's a three-week golf tour that, you, that you've got on over there so um, that's what we're going to be spending the, the next 20 minutes or so talking about um is it true that the guy on in the pro shot was surprised that you were you'd even ventured out onto the course yesterday yeah i think that was the first comment when uh we eventually strolled off the 18th and it it uh I mean, the dark clouds were behind us. We didn't get wet, but uh, the, the, the wind was was pretty brutal. Uh, and the first comment was, I'm pretty surprised you made it through 18. So uh, the 14 or so was that were out there. I uh, had a good crack. I don't think the scores were anything to, to write home about. I think there were a couple of good scores, but not too many uh, too many good ones. But uh, no, it was, it was a nice nice course. And um, yeah, it is a golf trip after all, isn't it? <laughs> Surely when you got downwind, like, I imagine you know hitting into the wind would be would be challenging. There must have been some holes where it might have helped you drive. I didn't feel like there was a whole lot of holes with the wind. There was a lot of crosswind. Um, there was a lot of holes that were into the wind, and the odd one that it was downwind. I think uh, you know the, the odd uh, from some of the comments were that you always swing a bit harder downwind to try and 
hit at miles. I think there were a couple of big boys hit some bombs. Um, I was playing with Paddy and he hit a couple of nice big ones. Um, but yeah, the, the, the crosswind was was pretty brutal. I think we were, a few holes were aiming uh, out to another hole and the wind would just bring it back to the centre of the fairway. So it was um, it was challenging, but it was good fun. That's normally how me and Josh play golf anyway. <laughs> Aim at the other fairway. <laughs> And so where are the go-to spots as far as golf is considered in New Zealand? I mean, Queenstown, obviously that's spectacular, but you're probably not heading there on this particular trip. Oh, unless we can um, sort of relocate a couple of the fixtures, yeah, I'm not sure we'll make it down to Queenstown, unfortunately. Um, there's some beautiful courses, uh, particularly down there, but, uh, I mean, New Zealand has got a lot of picturesque courses scattered a- across the country. Um, you know, next week we're in Auckland and, Obviously, we got back in Wellington and then finishing Christchurch. So, um, and we've got an assistant coach named Daniel Vittori who is well rehearsed in the golf courses of New Zealand. So, um, we're just sort of running off the back of him, and uh, he's definitely come up with the good so far. Before we ask you about the sport, you're contractually obliged to actually play, Mitch. I think Josh wanted to ask you about um, a certain day that you had a pretty good day out, maybe uh, leading into the Gabba test. Yeah, well, I heard on Fox Cricket that leading into the Brisbane test that uh, you rocked up at Royal Queensland and had a day out that maybe made some of the members a little bit unhappy. <laughs> yeah, we were, we were fortunate enough to, to uh, get around in on, on the Wednesday at Royal Queensland. Uh, I, I mean... Generally, the Wednesdays at a course are pretty hard to get on with the, the members' comps. Um, so I think Uzi Kawaja pulled some strings there. But um, fortunate enough to get on and, and we had uh, I think we had eight of us down there. And, uh, yeah, managed to find the, the fairway a few times. I think there were some some good good scores across the board uh, and, and then, uh, yeah, managed to, to take home the chocolates. And Josh uh, Josh Hazelwood, Scotty Boll and I hung around for lunch. We walked into the up into the clubhouse for lunch and just stepped foot into the door and gone, oh, the burglars are here. So um, I'm not sure they were too happy that I'd, I'd taken their, their lunch money off them and, and won the comp for the day. That's great. Um, well, why don't we move on to cricket then? Uh, that's probably enough golf chat for the moment. Uh, <laughs> the Perth test just completed and uh, Alyssa Healy was over there doing great things, making 99. Were you watching? What were your emotions? Did you have any feedback? Because, of course, you've also been in that situation. <laughs> Yeah, thanks for reminding me. Uh, it's only taken me 13 years to get over it, so um, or however long it's been, 12 years or something. But um, yeah, it was a you know a fantastic week for the girls over in, in the West. Uh, a good Test match, the first one Australia and and South Africa have had against one another, and um, <laughs> pretty brave from the captain to send the uh, send the bowlers in to bowl uh, on a 42 degree day, but um, was well rewarded. They bowled really nicely, and and uh, you know bowled them out cheaply and got stuck in the batting so um yeah watched a, a lot of the test match um watched a, a lot of a lot of elisa bat and um you know watched her get out too so yeah <laughs> i mean i i think she said it one of the days that um uh, sort of once it all kind of cooled down that night i sort of said well if there's anything i can relate to in in either of our cricket careers it's it's probably getting out for 99 so it doesn't help you much but at least i know what you're going through <laughs> I was looking back at the uh, that test in, in 2013 pretty early in your career just to remind myself exactly how you did get out on a 99. Um, now that I've got it in my memory bank, do you want to tell the listeners? I'm sure it's something you you really like to relive, mate. Nicking off on 99 or the, yeah, the play and miss four in a row and then nick the fifth one. Oh, you can go you can go all of those if you like. I, I, quite, I remember it quite well because um, 
I think Steve Smith got 96 in that same innings, and I batted a fair fair while with him. And uh, and then Nathan Nathan Lyon come out who who we've had a, a, a fair few batting innings where we kind of take the Mickey out of one another and laugh at one another and and try and not get hit too many times and just try and see how we go. But um, I kind of it, his recollection was I, I stopped talking too much about the the 80 run mark and uh, got a period of time there I was. Um, clearly getting a bit nervous and you'd think that you, you made it the other end might come down and, and you know try and take your mind off it or trying to break the ice a little bit and he's still there laughing at me and stayed there the other end and the ball was reversing a bit and, and I, I sort of played missed four and I think it was four or might have been five even but um, four or five and, and then nicked the, nicked the last one and got caught behind so um, yeah it was a little bit different to, to Elise's where she, she was borderline four runs um, a couple of balls before and Probably missed an opportunity to put the next ball away, and, and unfortunately um, got caught a ball later. But um, yeah, so unique scores, I guess. So you were too nervous, and she wasn't nervous enough. Oh, I don't know. She's scored hundreds <laughs> for Australia before, so um, I'm sure she's probably well equipped to deal with it a bit better than I do. Um, I've probably thrown away a couple in in, in my time, but. Um, and the way it's going at the moment, probably don't won't get another opportunity. So, <laughs> whereas I'm sure she will with with her banning up the order and, and and actually being a batter too. Well, just before we move on to to your stuff, I mean, I was going to ask you about the the one that you mentioned as well about her bowling. Like we're, we're all kind of watching on the east coast and um, following the scores or, or following you know who's going to win the toss and knowing it's 42, 43 degrees. And uh, then we see, you know, Australia have won the toss and bowled. Like if if Pat had won the toss on a forty three degree day in a test match here, how would how would you have kind of reacted to it? Um, I guess it's a little bit different when a, a bowler wins a toss and chooses to bowl. So, um, yeah, I'm sure it would have been much the same. Just get on on with it. Um, it was pretty warm the whole time we bowled in in Brisbane too. So uh, a little bit different. It's normally a, a dry heat over in the, in the West. But um, no, I remember talking to Elisa the day before and um, kind of we don't often talk cricket, but, you know, when we do, it's it's pretty brief. Um, she was sort of saying, <laughs> well, the wicket looks like it's got a little bit of grass on it. But um, sort of we both sort of said, well, the, the Shield games there have looked like it's, it's flattened out and, and – in the fourth innings, it might be a bit hard work against spin and stuff like that, but it looked like it was a pretty good wicket and, and with the, the heat that was forecast, it, it might crack up. Um, she kind of liked the look of a bit of extra grass on the wicket, so opted to go with, with the bowling. And, um, yeah, it was, was rewarded with, uh, you know, a, a good bowling performance from the, from the girls. Darcy was, was phenomenal. Uh, I think the whole bowling, you sort of spoiled a bit for, for choice with, you know, the, all the options they have and you can... Uh, I'm not. Uh, I don't envy having to be in a position of having to deal with sort of eight bowling options and, and not knowing if you bowled too many or under bowled someone. But um, no, they did it fantastically well through the test match with with bat and ball, and yeah, a, a, a good uh, yeah, a great week for the for the Aussie girls to to win a test match at home. Always, yeah, great to get a test win no matter who's playing. And now we as we move towards the T20 World Cup, that obviously the preparations ramping up. There's an opportunity for your team, Mitch, to become the first to hold all three major ICC trophies. Is that a motivating factor for you guys, or is it business as usual? Um, it's it's well up until the last sort of two days, where I think it's been. I think Davey mentioned it in the press yesterday, maybe, or someone else has been speaking about it. But up till then, it's sort of not been 
spoken about or, or, or sort of on the radar. Um, you know, you, you take the old cliche of and take it each as they come, but um, it's sort of the next tournament on the on the rung and we're, we're fortunate enough to, to hold two of them. And if you go a little step further, uh, the girls have obviously, they hold all the trophies, all the ICC trophies. We've just won the, the under-19s men's trophy. Um, so it's almost the last little tick in the box. And, <laughs> um, and then, then Australia's holding all the, all the uh, the ICC trophies, which should be a really cool achievement for obviously for cricket in Australia, but the you know the the, the major Australian teams as well. I believe there's an ICC Women's Under 19s World Cup. That's the only one the Aussies don't right, have. There you go. Yeah, apart from the T20 World when's Cup. When's that one, Josh? You might know better than me. I believe there's one coming up yeah. early next year. We had it last year. Yeah. All right, we'll, we'll, we'll tick this T20 World Cup off, and then next year the Aussie girls can win that one, and then we'll hold everything. Absolutely zero pressure on, on them um, if, if any of the, those girls are, are listening. So we obviously know what happened at the, the 2022 World Cup. Um, you know, it wasn't the tournament you guys would have wanted on your on your kind of home soil. I, I'm interested, Mitch, just in terms of how you guys, like uh, first of all, like this upcoming World Cup is, is still quite a way off, but these are your last games as a team kind of before, um, before you, you get there. So have you kind of talked about like differences in – um, approach, strategy, obviously going to be playing on different grounds over in the Caribbean. Um, you know, the personnel is very similar to, to last time around and even back to 2021, it's a pretty similar group. What are the differences between um, between then and now? Um, not a word's been spoken about it, to be fair. <laughs> <laughs> we, we had, you know, you, you batting and bowling meetings about the New Zealand series that we're about to start tomorrow. But um, in, in terms of the World Cup, there's not, not been a word spoken really about um the approach to it the makeup of the team the the conditions obviously we know we're going to be playing all our group games in the west indies um you know the grounds that we're, we've, we've played well most of the group have played cricket at before um you've got a, a group of guys that are going to be coming off a big period of, of t20 cricket obviously with the ipl leading into the world cup um and i mean there wasn't a whole lot of reflecting on on the previous World Cup, either, and and if you look a little bit deeper, we we lost one game, and and it's it's been touted as a, a pretty disappointing World Cup. We, we probably performed, um, uh, probably lesser performed in in the World Cup that we won. It was just purely because we snuck into the finals and then played some good cricket. So it, it's it's really a toss of the coin between those two, whether you, whether you sneak into the the finals or you, you don't. Um, and that's 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 the reality of of how that those World Cups were formatted. Obviously, it's a it's a change now with having four groups. You've got more teams. You then move into Super Eights, and then you then into the into the knockout stages. So maybe it's a little bit of a different approach. There's going to be teams and, and players that that we haven't haven't seen or come up against before, particularly in those group stages. Um, but as you mentioned, it's it's the last three games as an Australian team before we. We have a, a bit of a break and then then join up again for the World Cup. So um, we, we see obviously myself included and a few guys coming back into the squad, uh, which is is different to the you know, the last sort of um, fortnight or so where we've had had a lot of a lot of guys come in and perform really well for Australia. So it, it sort of opens up that that uh, I guess the selection process for the squad. But um, all really exciting things for the group. And I guess it will be slightly different in terms of uh, your captain. You you will have a, a different captain. You know, Finchy was obviously there for the for the last two. Um, in your eyes, is Mitch Marsh the, the man to do it? From all reports, yeah. I mean, it's it's 
pretty successful little period of time there with obviously the the games in in South Africa um, into the, the the games we've just had against West Indies. I didn't I didn't play any of them, so I couldn't tell you. But um, <laughs> no, he's he's a natural leader. He, he's someone. He's so popular amongst the group. Uh, he's playing with a, a lot of freedom and, and clarity in the way he approaches his cricket at the moment, and, and he's sort of uh, I think in in a similar similar uh, conversation as as Pat, where he's pretty clear and and calm in his approach as captain, and um, you know I think that's it's a pretty good flow and effect when you have got two guys like that across the, the three, three formats that are pretty confident in their group, pretty clear, pretty calm. Uh, it just sort of breeds good cricket. And Mitch, in terms of your own game, I mean, you've played no shortage of cricket over the last little bit, but it's been a long time since your last T20 match. Do you feel rusty then in that in that regard, or is it just bowling to you? It's all still bowling, isn't it? Um, uh, yeah, it's it's been some time. I think I haven't played since the the Ireland game in the the World Cup. I don't think so. Um, yeah, it, it's it's been some time. Uh, I think uh, you know between Pat and I, we haven't we haven't played since the World Cup. Um, there might be a couple others. I'm not sure, but I think it's certainly the two of us. <laughs> we sort of the last, uh, you know, the last week and a bit while we've been in the nets or, or yesterday down at training, just um, fine tuning a few of those different skills that you need for for T20 cricket. It's obviously short and sharp, and, and only four overs as a bowler, but it's certainly um, certainly trying to stay a step ahead of the batter at times, or trying to bluff them out, or you know, make sure you have enough tools in the back pocket that are ready to go to to be equipped for, for this, uh, this style of cricket and, and particularly over here in New Zealand and it'll be the same uh, in a few other places but here in New Zealand we're playing on rugby fields so I think a, a few of the hits are about 40 metres and um, you sort of just have to take some medicine sometimes. Well we wanted to ask that as well is there, if you're not playing every match you know in this sort of series which Mitch Marsh maybe suggested was the case are you maybe putting your hand up to miss out on Eden Park or one of those ones with the really short boundaries? Well there's, there's a game here at, at uh, in Wellington and to at Eden Park and and so the three of them are all on rugby fields so that's a good start um, but yeah no we've we've got a, a good group of, of players if we're, we're talking about bowling in, in T20 cricket we've got guys that um, you know Pat as I said Pat and I haven't played a lot in recent times you've got Josh and, and, and Nathan have played a, a fair bit um, obviously Zamps has played a, a lot in his time um, Spencer Johnson comes back in with, with the with an injury replacement Um so yeah, it's it's a good opportunity for for all of us as a bowling group to uh, have an opportunity in this series against a you know a team that have been phenomenal in in ICC tournaments over the recent times, uh, and certainly in their home conditions um, to have a hit out mm-hmm. against uh, against them on, on some small grounds and see how we how we fare. I'm interested in your take on uh, Spencer Johnson and just what you've made made of his rise, Mitch, as a as a fellow left left arm quick and. Even the fact he's spoken a little bit about about how he was your, your body double on a on a um, a film shoot a while ago. Yeah, he. Uh, I, I believe he still has a photo of it. Um, he, I think he might remember it a bit clearer than I do. But um, <laughs> it was over in Kalgoorlie actually on a on a Salt Lake, and and um, he had to sort of body double body double my bowling action or something. And um, so it's sort of when I I'd, I'd first properly come across Spence and, and actually had you know a few conversations with him and stuff and, and obviously fast track down the line he's, he's now you know in, we're, we're touring um, together and, and had had a chance to spend some time with him in India uh, prior to that that series there um, 
well, sorry, prior to the, the World Cup where we had that that um, those three matches there. So, yeah, he, he you know he's starting to to really understand um, his bowling action and what's he, what he wants to do with the ball. And I think you know he we've seen it the last sort of particularly last six months how how quick he's he's been able to to rise to the top and, and perform at international cricket and, and and you know he's made it really clear that he's he's able to perform on the big stage against the big players and and looks ready for it so um he's going to have a, an exciting uh, career for australia and another lefty which is great and uh, look forward to uh, there's no reason we can't play two lefties in the same team is there <laughs> well that's what i was going to ask you i mean you just haven't done all that much of it i guess you had mitch johnson at the the saudi career i'm trying to think if you played much with with berendorf even I uh, played, played a little bit with Jace. Um, obviously, played a fair bit with James Faulkner as well, uh, who was more of an all-rounder, but another lefty. Um, but yeah, probably probably played the most with with uh, with Mitch um, in in the time that we probably spent together around around all the formats. Uh, obviously, go back a little bit further, and in, in New South Wales, we had Doug Bollinger and, and Nathan Bracken as well. So, you know, if had a, the lefties have been around. You, you, Jolly Paris and, and Jace out in the West, uh, and now now Spencer's he's put his foot forward and um, he's doing phenomenally well. He's got great skills. Uh, he's got a, a good head on his shoulders. So he likes to think about the game. So um, he's going from strength to strength, and, and I look forward to, to to seeing that the rise of the big fella. Well, one match that you, Mitch Johnson, and James Faulkner all played was at Eden Park in the 2015 World Cup. Uh, you had a pretty good game that day. And I want to hear about your memories of that match because uh, it was a pulsating fixture that the Kiwis won in a low-scoring match, but you got a couple of wickets yourself. Yeah, it was probably it's probably the most entertaining game of the World Cup, I think. It was, it was probably the only game where, where ball dominated bat. It was a, a pretty high-scoring World Cup, and, and you know there were double centuries and scores of over 400 and whatnot. Uh, and and more often than not, it's those those really close encounters encounters where the the ball dominates the bat, which are almost the most entertaining. And um, I think Trent Bolt had a, a day out as well. He took five against us. We batted first and um, didn't set too big a total. It was I think it was only about 150 odd, 151 or something like that. Um, and it, it was over that quick that we were bowling before the dinner break. Um, so <laughs> we, we got out there and, and uh, I guess my memories from that was, was Baz came out and did his thing and, and got away early and uh, I think I think Pat got him out maybe. I think Pat or Mitch, I think Pat got him out. Uh, so we, we had a little bit of a sniff, we got the got the balls at Eden Park they've only got the, the one drop in wicket so there's no there's no square the ball doesn't scuff it's almost like the ball stays new and, and swings a fair bit um, comparatively to, to grounds which have squares so ball's still swinging got a, got a few to, to, to get the mark and, and we were I think we had them three down at the dinner break when we had to, had to go off for dinner uh, and they still I think they might have been three for 80 or something and um Sort of still thought, you know, you never know. There's a couple of good balls and get into their lower order, which I don't think at that stage had faced too much because the, the Kiwis were playing pretty well. And um, you know, it wasn't a, it wasn't an up and about change room, but we all, the bowlers thought we were a little bit of a sniff to to do some damage. Um, got a few more on the on the money after the dinner break, and and all of a sudden, you know, we sort of kind of back in the game a little bit. Um, I think Dan Vittori actually scored a a few runs. Um, not not many, but a, a, enough to sort of get it really close, and, and um, all of a sudden they're sort of nine down with with six to win, and Kane Williamson was holding them together, and and um, 
managed to hit a six to win the game and, and got over the line with by one wicket. So, yeah, it was sort of ride the ebbs and flows of, of the the scores as a player, but also that the crowd there, I think it was they were so up and about when they had bowled us out for 150 and then they were looking like they were getting a total. And we took all those wickets at the back end and kind of got really quiet and then and Kane hit the six and they, they got back up again. So, um, yeah, we let them have that one and, and knocked them off in the final instead. That's a good That's a good trade. <laughs> yeah, and we did not ask you about that because if, uh, yeah, I just don't think we're going to be able to stop you if you um, – if you start talking about the other game against you on that World Cup, although the you know the really interesting bit kind of was over a bit quicker than than um, what you've just described. I mean, just in you, you talked about the crowd there, like at Eden Park, and um, you know just kind of how unique that is. Like you haven't played much cricket in in New Zealand, Mitch. When we were kind of looking through it, is that almost one bit that you're looking forward to? You know, just the T Twenties, of course, but but also a couple of Tests. Yeah, I haven't played a Test match here. It's um neither's pat actually we were talking about it the other night it's sort of it's been a long time since we played test cricket here i think 2016 was was the last tour and uh josh was there uh josh mitch and i think it was sort of bird and peter siddle might have been the bowling attack so um maybe james pattinson as well um so yeah we haven't played any test cricket here i've only played cricket at eden park and at, at hamilton so it's um Certainly not been here at Windy Wellington, and and uh, we had our look at the the basin um, the other day. Obviously, where, where we trained, haven't seen the cake tin, so it'll be a, a bit of an eye opener when we get to the ground tomorrow. And and well, it's only small, so it's not too much to see clearly. But um, no, it's a, it's a, it's a nice place to play play the cricket. Obviously, New Zealand have been playing some good cricket coming off a off a Test series as well. Um, but no, excited to to play some more cricket here. Obviously, to to play play some Test cricket be. Be fantastic. I've heard some, some uh, obviously some players' memories and, and thoughts about um, the crowds here in New Zealand. But um, no, we're, we're looking forward to some some exciting and, and high quality cricket. What, what were those memories, mate? <laughs> um, I think Davey might have touched on it yesterday, actually, in the in the press. But um, yeah, I, I mean, as I said, I've only played a, a, a handful of games here and, and all been short formats. So um, I, I mean, I don't have too many. Um, too many experiences of, of the crowd here other than, you know, the, the ones in the World Cup up and down or, or um, I mean, we played another game here at Eden Park where West Stoin hit 150 and, and was in a partnership of, of heaps with Josh who got none. So, um, yeah, we've probably been on, on on the rough end of a few of them, but um, I've heard, heard the test crowds can be, be pretty rowdy and, and um, almost be um, sort of uh, the next level up from, from, from an Ashes crowd. Uh, well, I mean, Josh Hazelwood does have a few memories. You mentioned him being the only one of you three who played in that test, uh, that test series in 2016. We're just wondering if he found out who the, the third umpire was. Yeah, I think I think Richie Ellingworth came and introduced himself <laughs> after that. <laughs> Might just leave that one there. Yep, Josh, you got anything more, mate? <laughs> and Mitch, uh, we know that you're a very humble person, of course, but you're on the cusp of overtaking Dennis Lilly in terms of test wickets. You're three away from overtaking him, two to tie uh, that's an incredible achievement. How do you sort of, I don't know, comprehend moving past the, what is a legend of Australian cricket into third all-time of Test wicket takers? Well, it, it's fourth, but thank you. Uh, I'm not sure I'm getting past Gaza. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> well, there um, you go. <laughs> yeah, Gaza will remind me anyway if I claim that one. So, um, <laughs> no, it, it's 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 cool. I mean, I, yeah, it's it's. They're not things that kind of reflect on until 
well, I don't, I, I don't reflect on them at the moment. I'm sure I will once I'm, I finish cricket. And they're, they're very, um, yeah, they're very humbling and, and certainly very, very grateful to have those opportunities to, I mean, to play as much as I have and, and get a few balls in the right areas. But um, yeah, I mean, it's DK has obviously been, you know, one of the, one of the, the names you, you've synonymous with with fast bowling in Australia and um, you know even here in the last sort of couple of days in working with, with a couple of the under-19s boys and, and um, you know Paddy spent some time with DK and, and sort of refining his his action and helping him out as well so yeah to, to be even I think mentioned with you know guys in that that top 10 and, and it is pretty cool and we, we've got you know four of four of our current test bowlers in the top 10 which is um, you know something that it's really cool to be a part of and it's not lost on us um that, you know how much we get to play with each other and 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 the wickets we get to take and um i'm sure you know once we're we're finished which is is certainly we're closer to that point than the start um we'll we'll probably be sitting at a golf club somewhere and and, and reflecting on on what's been and and watching the next crop come through and just on gaza is warney's record in danger from him we took another five this week in the shield so he's he's not not slowing down at any rate. Um, if you listen to Gaz, he wants to play for another four years. So, who knows what's what's uh, what's capable in the next four years? We got you know there's, there's plenty of Test matches uh, coming up in in you know we've got a couple of big big series in Australia coming up over the next few years. But there's also you know plenty of subcontinent tests on the horizon where he, he obviously thrives and and um, his skill set is. He, you know, it's something he tries to improve on uh, all the time, and, and we saw it again through the summer how how big a part he is uh, of of the fast bowling attack, and and how much I, I guess how, how much you know you know pressure he takes off us to to bowl the overs that he does, take the key wickets that he does. He allows us to to bowl with absolute freedom from the other end, and um, I think that's what what uh, you know our bowling attack's been very fortunate to have is you know four guys that are. You sort of complement each other really well and um you know when you've got the quality of of scott Bowen and, and michael nisa who are trying to bang the bang down the door and um, when they come in they're phenomenal as well it's just um we're, we're in a pretty fortunate position in australian cricket and it's an interesting one as well kind of looking at the um you know if i can get you to look a little bit further ahead like uh, after these two tests uh, you don't play again until the next home summer against India like you know given the um the 12 18 months you're kind of coming off with you know just so much test cricket and um and everything like a pack schedule how do you kind of feel approaching these these two tests I suppose knowing that it's a while between drinks yeah it is it's uh I mean it's a, it's a few different sort of thoughts I guess so it's for a couple of us we haven't played test cricket here before so you know you can only Take what you see on the TV with with the green wickets and, and how they they probably get flatter through through the the course of a game. So that'll be an interesting one. Um, yeah, as you mentioned, there's there's a, a big big gap for for red ball cricket. Um, you know, for the, for a lot of us, we play multi format, so it's not like the the cricket stops, the the circus continues. Um, but yeah, it's it's an opportunity to sort of close off a period of time of of an unbelievable unbelievably hectic schedule where. It's been uh, a lot of success along the way, a lot of different tours home and away. Um, it sort of closes off that little um, little section, I guess, uh, and and put the red ball away for sort of six or so months and, and get stuck into a big patch of, of white ball cricket. Um, there's a period of time there after the World Cup where I'm sure a lot of guys will take that opportunity to 
to mentally and physically refresh, give you know all the the niggles and aches and pains a chance to to uh, to heal, and and then obviously we've got two massive summers coming up post that as well, where you know we want to be want to be uh, you know playing our best cricket and playing our best team. So um, yeah, that's you could look as far down the, the track as you like. It's, there's always always a big series um, at your door or on the horizon, and and you know we've got a, a capable squad of. Um, a lot of players across the formats to, to be ready to go. Maybe just final one from me, Mitch, but I mean, just you talk about having a lot of guys to call upon, but you know, we, we're kind of even going back to that 2021 world cup. It, it seems to be you, um, Josh and Pat that we keep kind of coming back to is we get to these world cups. I'm like, Oh, well, these blokes are still our best three fast bowlers. Like that, that must be a, an immense source of pride to, to all three of you to, to be so um, versatile across all three formats. Like what would it mean to, um, to be able to go out just as, as you three um, not go out, but to, to be able to achieve another T20, uh, another world cup win. Pushing us out the door. Eh? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, it is. It's um, it, yeah, it's not, it's not lost on us. How, how um, I mean, fortunate we are to, to, keep getting these opportunities but but certainly the the stuff that goes on you know behind closed doors or, or out of the eye where we spend a lot of time together in you know on tour off tour on a golf course certainly in the gym um whether it be bowling in nets with no batters um it, i think we're fortunate that we all we're all in the same state we're, we're not far down the road from one other where we can we can catch up uh, away from cricket or we certainly spend a lot of time training together. So um, the the moments where you, you win World Cups or you win test matches or, or win um, test series, they're, they're certainly not lost on us. Uh, and um, there's a lot, a lot of, um, yeah, we're pretty proud of, of, of a lot of the stuff. Um, probably more so the, the times where we win games, obviously, in the, as opposed to, to the bags of wickets. It's um, We've all played a lot of cricket now. We've all gone through a, a fair few injuries as well so to be in the position that we are as as a group of players and certainly as you know a group of, of three fast bowlers across the formats it's um yeah it, it's pretty cool to have, have done that for so long with with um a couple of your best mates and last one from me mitch just how excited are you to return to the ipl after almost a decade a decade out of it uh, must be an exciting new experience for you i mean you feel like a maybe a fresh recruit really it is a bit like that. It's uh, it's been what eight years, I think. So, um, back to to KKR where I was, was supposed to be in two thousand and eighteen. So, I've, I've, um, be back there for for the the chance to pull on the the, the golden purple. Um, no, it, it's exciting. It's um, you know we've obviously got these three three and a bit weeks or, or three weeks to to play um, play some really good cricket for Australia and, and hopefully really successful couple of, of series, and, and then a bunch of us will. We'll head straight over to, to India to, to get stuck in, in again. So um, it, it's probably, um, I guess, my memories are a few and far between of, of back in 2014 and 15 with, with Bangalore. But, um, yeah, really excited to, to get get stuck in. Obviously, a, a new group of players, um, a bunch of guys that I, I, I certainly haven't haven't met or, or been able to work with before, um, you know, a couple of guys that, of uh, international guys that I've, I've, I've played against and, and come across and, and um, yeah, it's, it's going to be exciting. It's a, it's definitely a new challenge, um, but yeah, it's, it'd be exciting. It's always a, a bit of a circus and, and um, when it is the, the best T20 league in the world. So um, yeah, look forward to it. Awesome, Mitch. Thanks so much for your time. Good luck in the series against New Zealand. Thanks, Jens. Thanks for having me. 